Hello, hello. Welcome to the Back Porch Podcast. I'm Corey Dempsey. And I'm Zach Howes. Howes. Zach Howes. <laughs> That's right, everyone. We are doing the James Bond Power Rankings in honor of the new James Bond movie, new No Time to Die, which is out in theaters now. What we're going to be doing here is we are going to go through the entire franchise and we are going to attempt to power rank all of these movies. There are 24 in total, minus the new one. And yeah, to help us in this power ranking journey is our main man, John Stegman, a.k.a. The Stegs. Stegs, what's going on, man? What's going on? What's going on? What we also have to acknowledge right now is Zach's commitment to this whole process. Zach is wearing a full-on suit and he has a martini glass. Zach, you're doing great, man. You know, I figured on a podcast, I have a face for radio. Why not dress up for something that nobody can see and and show you guys show you guys how committed I am to this? Now, this martini, it is 8 a.m. in 8 a.m. in Colorado right now. So keep in mind, there is no vodka in this martini, but it's, it's just straight good. gin. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna be obliterated. Gin. Yeah, so let's talk about what we're drinking this morning. So in honor of James Bond, I did have my wife mix me a vodka martini this morning so I could drink it on this podcast. To be clear, it is stirred, not shaken, because James Bond is wrong about how he drinks martinis. (laughs) I I will say, and we talked about this before, I... Dude, I fucking hate martinis. I find them so disgusting. I don't like them either. This is going to be a struggle to get through this drink, but I had to commit. That was my version of commitment. It's wrong. Stegs, are you a martini guy? Uh, you know, I try to be. I think in times I've I've watched, whenever I've watched these movies, I kind of just like to fake convince myself that like I'm a martini guy. And then I kind of go through the cycle of realizing that um, not yet. At some point, it's got to be genetic. My grandfather used to drink them all the time. My dad likes them. So I'm assuming at some point, just like my just deep regret in life is just going to like overwhelm me. And then I'm going to need stronger alcohol. But for now, um, uh, (laughs) that's so sad, but also true. (laughs) But for now, I'll stick with, you know, the regular stuff. (laughs) All right. So, you know, for the sake of posterity, because we always start this with a beer crack, I have a seltzer next to me that's going to wash this awful martini down. So anyway, let's get this episode started. Let's get into this discussion about the James Bond films. Where I want to start is our relationship with these films. Obviously, we were all born in the 80s, and these movies have going been going on since early 60s. 62 was Dr. No, the first one. So, you know, for us, we obviously came into it late. Zach, where did you start on the James Bond train? So I don't remember where I started, um, but I do have very, very vivid memories when I was a kid, being on a vacation in Martha's Vineyard with my parents, and this is like, I don't know, like I was 10 years old, maybe. And we had a couple rainy days in a row. And I just I don't know why I always remember this. We went to the local video store and rented a ton of old Bond movies, like Moonraker was one of them. Um, I forget, probably Live and Let Die was another one, like not even the Brosnan ones at the time, the Connery and Roger Moore's. And I remember that's where I really fell in love with these movies because they are so 
over the top uh, as a little and as a little boy, like you're obsessed with the gadgets, you're obsessed with how uh, how Bond gets all the girls, all these hot women. And then, of course, the action, which to my little kid brain was cool. When you rewatch some of these now, it's fucking atrocious. <laughs> but but that's where like that is the the lasting memory I have is like sitting in this little um bed and breakfast type vacation rental watching james bond movies on a rainy day in martha's vineyard a bed and breakfast in martha's vineyard is the perfect locale to get into james bond it's so bougie (laughs) it really was like i i also didn't realize that at the time that we were on like a very nice vacation i like you know little kids you're a shithead so i'm like why can't we just go to the beach and have fun instead of walking around martha's fucking vineyard Steggs, what about you? How'd you come into James Bond in these movies? I've been, I mean, I've just been watching Bond movies pretty much like my entire childhood was, it was like one of the main franchises I really, really loved. Um, You know, I'm always, I was always an Indiana Jones guy, but second to that was always uh, James Bond. I used to crowd in the basement at family reunions at my grandfather's on my dad's side just like whatever ones they had around there on VHS. So like, you know, you know, some, some of the, the classics, uh, usually Connery's, uh, at that time, my grandfather on that side, it was like, like, I always felt like he was kind of James Bond, you know, he was just, he was, he was like just a classic, like come back home from work, have a cocktail kind of guy. And like, it was all their houses looked like, like sixties stone and wood, like Blofeld layers. It was, uh, um, <laughs> But yeah, it was so like, I just, you know, we always grew up watching them. I love the gadgets. Um, in fact, like there, there's some movies, I think on this list as we go through that, I feel like I pretty much have put on there exclusively for the gadgets. Cause they're just like ingrained in my head. I always want it. I just, I want that prop, but yeah, it's uh, one of those things that I think I, me and my cousins kind of always bonded over pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm glad you brought up GoldenEye because the video game is the reason I got into Bond. I mean, yes. that N64 video game yeah. was the first like experience I had with Bond. I had no idea about the movies. I just started playing this video game, and I'd play it for hours. And then my dad saw that I was playing this game, and so he kind of introduced me to James Bond, the movie character, as a result of that, and then we'd sit down and just watch these like TBS and TNT marathons where they'd all just be on. And honestly, as I look back on it, they've all kind of just blended together in my head. So when I went back to rewatch them this time, I was so confused. Like I'd be watching a movie and be like, oh, this is the one where this happened. And then it just wouldn't happen. And I'd be like, shit, when, when is this one? And so. This project, like going back and like really rewatching these was really interesting because, you know, like we said, we all got into these as a kid. But then when you go and look at them in an adult brain, it completely shifts kind of the perspective on them. So I'm curious, like when you went to rewatch a lot of these, like what was that like and kind of how how did it change your perspective on some of these movies? So, Corey, actually, that's a perfect question, because one thing I wanted to touch on. Uh, specific to GoldenEye, the video game, and GoldenEye. Well, one, one, I think everybody, you know, every kid in our generation probably got introduced through GoldenEye, the video game, and then into the series, right? Because that game had such a profound impact on our whole generation. I'm going to bring up that game probably a ton over the course of this podcast. But it's funny you say, you ask like, hey, what, what was different or what surprised you? Because as a kid, I remember 
I knew GoldenEye, the video game, like the back of my hand, like every single in and out of it, right? We all played it so much. So I also remember vividly as a kid, the first time I watched GoldenEye being like, well, well, what the fuck? The the first level is dam and nothing happens to it. He just runs and jumps off the dam. Why Why isn't he shooting bad guys? And then I remember throughout the movie, like all these different levels, you recognize the locale and you're like, well, why doesn't he go up? You know, why doesn't he go up the stairs in the factory first and use his laser watch or whatever he needs to do? There's proximity mines on that ledge. Why didn't he go up there? <laughs> yes, exactly. So it like that blew my little kid brain that the video game could be that much more detailed than the movie. For this project specifically, I think it, it had been a while since, since I watched Roger Moore ones. So I forgot same just how campy the roger moore movies get i i think i started watching these movies like well before i actually played um goldeneye uh just because i didn't really i was i was always kind of on the back end of getting systems like i i got like super nintendo is my system that's like (laughs) that's my uh i always play a snes is what i call it but uh i love i love super nintendo um but I had that, I kind of like got on that in like 96 or not, uh, probably. So like, it's kind of like, it's already been out for like six years. And I kind of did the same thing with, with N- N64. I didn't really get it till like almost 2000 or like late 90s. So I didn't really start playing GoldenEye until around then. So I was probably like 10. So I think I'd already been kind of watching some of the earlier James Bonds at, at my, um, you know, my grandfather's that we'd said. Uh, and like, I always kind of, one of the things I always did like growing up is like once, like my dad loved Bond too growing up. Uh, so like we would always, and still do, um, always go to the movies together whenever, whenever that's like the one, I don't think of my dad as like a big movie guy. Um, but I always make a point of going to James Bond movies with my dad. Um, and it is fun. Like they're great, but like, yeah, I, uh, Corey, what you were saying, like they really do, especially the Roger Moore ones to me, just like form a mass. And there's like a couple of them that do like I like I just know just because I really like the movie. But beyond that, I'm like, oh yeah, like like I think it's Octopussy that has like the he's like disguised in an, in an alligator or something like that. Um, and he dresses up as a clown too. Yeah, well, the clown I always remember, but like, <laughs> but the alligator I just always assume it's in one of the other ones that like takes place in the South. I was like, oh, is that what part of what part of Live and Let Die has? It? Even though I like Live and Let Die, um, it is. They always do blend together, but you know, it's like there's that. I think you kind of one of the cool parts about this is since it's such like a stalwart of time, it's like always there and all in all the eras is that they like it really does show the era in which it's made. It, it really like even the filmmaking style like changes. It's like there's not really I don't think there is a a direct comparison in any other thing of film. It's just around for so long. Um, so like it's kind of fun that way because you when you're reanalyzing, you kind of are able to just take it as what it is. Like, I mean, if that wasn't the case, you literally would not be able to watch some of Sean Connery bonds because they are like hilariously problematic on certain ends, obviously, as we all know, but like they're so I think it's just because they're so famous that we're able to just still be like, all right that was ridiculous but let's watch the rest of this not and i not only is it reflective of the era but it's also really reflective of kind of what was going on at movies at the time because this franchise has this like distinct way of kind of i don't want to say ripping off but it kind of is ripping off like taking what was really popular and then incorporating it into the movies so zach i know you have an example and i'll throw it to you in a second but 
you know, one of the things that stuck out with me, especially with the Roger Moore ones, I was watching Live and Let Die. That comes out in 1973. Two years before that, Shaft and Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, two exploitation classics come out. So what do they do in 1973? They essentially do Bond in a exploitation movie. 1977, The Spy Who Loved Me. 1975, Jaws was the biggest movie ever. Who's the henchman in 1977, <laughs> Spy Who Loved Me? A guy named Jaws, and the main guy has sharks as his like main thing in his lair. So they just take these things. And then, Zach, you obviously have a great example of this, too. Just, fo- just follow the path, right? Follow the years. So then right after the era you were just talking about, Moonraker comes out. What's popular when Moonraker comes out? Star Wars. And Bond fucking goes to space and has a laser battle in space. It's incredible. <laughs> that movie is terrible, but it's also the best movie. <laughs> but then but then keep going, right? So um, I, I always confuse the two Timothy Dalton ones. But whichever one came out right near Scarface, the villain in that Timothy Dalton movie is basically Scarface. Yeah, so and then, 83 Scarface comes out, and then 89 License to Kill has License, like the drug cartel leader. Ex- exactly. And then even better, Daniel Craig's debut, right? That is Jason Bourne. He's, he's James Bond doing Jason Bourne. I actually, now that we have time to look back on them and see how those movies have aged, I actually think Daniel Craig does a better Jason Bourne impression than Jason Bourne movies do. But I don't disagree. That was such a, a unique thing for Bond in, in particular because Bond was always this debonair, stylish ladies' man, and then Casino Royale comes out and blows your mind because it's not that at all. He's this blonde hair, blue-eyed, like brutish psychopath who he does fall in love with a woman, but actually even that is different and unique. And I'm already, I'm bearing, or I'm jumping the gun because I know we're going to talk about Casino Royale later, but it's just unique and different because in this movie, he falls in love, like truly falls in love. Whereas all the movies prior to that, minus Honor Majesty's Secret Service, Bond is just out to bang the hottest girl he can find. Yeah, I think it was fascinating. And honestly, that was like, one of the most interesting parts of going back is just like picking out what were they referencing? Cause even like for your eyes only, it's basically bond at the winter Olympics in 1980 was the Lake Placid winter Olympics with the miracle. And it's like, seriously, like whatever was happening, they're just like, yes, let's incorporate it into the movie. So, so then what the fuck explains die another day? Was, was there a great, was there a great summer Olympics where people were surfing tsunamis? I think it was the invention of CGI and they went a little bit nuts with it. All right. So we're going to get into the Bond formula and talk about kind of what makes a Bond movie as well as some like our favorite examples. And before we do, we have to talk about James Bond, the character. Obviously, you know, we've we touched on it a lot. As you look back, James Bond is an incredibly problematic character. They've gone through waves of trying to kind of correct that. But just purely based on bond who is bond to you they've had five different five different six different connery lazenby moore dalton brosnan craig they've had six different bonds throughout (laughs) history so you know to you who is bond so this uh for me again i told you i was going to mention goldeneye over and over again but this is where like goldeneye impacted my bond uh the most like to me, Pierce Brosnan is James Bond. If I, if I, you ask me to take a mental image of James Bond in my head, Pierce Brosnan is the first person who shows up. And I think that's probably largely because he was the first Bond we were introduced to or I was introduced to as a kid. 
right? And what you're introduced to in childhood is what sticks the most. So Pierce Brosnan would be first, um, also because he nail he does nail the the suaveness of James Bond, and also does have a bit of that mysterious. I guess maybe not mysterious, but he has a bit of an edge that, you know, Roger Moore doesn't necessarily have. And it's not over the top edge, like maybe Daniel Craig. So I could go, I mean, if you want me to rank all my bonds, I could, but Pierce Brosnan would be number one. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a Connery guy. Um, I, I, it's, it's Connery. And then, and then everyone, I think also just by nature of being first, you're often going to be compared to that, but like they kind of did, I mean, granted it was a literary character, but like, I mean, they kind of defined it based on Connery. So, I mean, he is, regardless of how we spin it, like what you're comparing it to. And I do think everyone else, when, whenever you're talking about a Bond, it's always like, oh, you know, he's a little bit more comical than Connery. Or he's like, oh, he's a little bit, um, you know, he's not as tough as Connery. Or, like, or it's like, you know, it's always in shades of that. Connery is a guy that you you believe if he punches somebody, the guy's going to stay down, you know, and then Roger Moore's there. And like, I don't think so. No. Uh, no. <laughs> no. And going back to the fight scene things, I don't think Roger Moore connected on his punches <laughs> half the time. Sure didn't. No, I think Stegs, your point is a good one because, you know, Connery is always the comparison point because he invented the character on screen. I think Daniel Craig is Bond to me because he's taken what's great about every bond before him and kind of melded it into his own take on the character. He has the suave and the cool of Connery bond, but he also has this like dark detached nature that Dalton had in his two movies. Mm -hmm. And I love Dalton. So like he's taken all the best elements of my favorite bonds and kind of melded them together. So honestly, I'm very sad to see Daniel Craig leave, but I also understand, like, you've done it enough, like, good job. But, <laughs> you know, Daniel Craig, to me, still kind of, just because he's put it all together, but I, I honestly do love every Bond for their own merits. Like, I don't have a bad thing to say about any of them. I still like more. I think the campy kind of nonsense, like, it's fun. So yeah. I don't have a problem with any Bond. I, I really like the point you made because, uh, or both of you made, because it brings me back to, like, this, I think you can have a lot of varying opinions about Bond because they're all so unique and different. And Pierce Brosnan is James Bond to me, like I said, right? But I think Daniel Craig actually has the best movies of the bunch and is the most badass Bond by far. Sean Connery is the classic Bond and is so cool. And exactly to your point, like he is what we all compare all the other actors to. However, at the end of the day, like Pierce Brosnan, because he was... I guess the first was the bond to me. So it's, it's a very interesting debate. And then I'm skipping over Timothy Dalton who has his own badass qualities. Exactly. And then Roger Moore, who's phenomenal because he's like, he's goofy bond and it's great. It works. Yeah. I mean, I think what's really cool about bond in general, just because it's such a unique thing where it spans so much time is like, I think a lot of people for a lot of people, um, Bond is whoever they grew up with as Bond. Like, I think if I asked my mom, it probably is Roger Moore. Uh, my dad would be, he's a little older, would be uh, Sean Connery. I think a lot of people our age, it's Pierce Brosnan. And like, and that's kind of one of the reasons, like, also, like, Corey, because I agree. Like, I love Daniel Craig. It's been like the, I think he, he really just took over the role in an awesome way and kind of made it his own. Um, and it's just this whole era has been a really fun era and kind of like a revitalization of the, the, of the, franchise but one of the cool parts about bond is like i'm sad to see him go but i'm also like 
I don't even care if the next Bond is different. I'm kind of looking forward to it being different because it's right. just like that's what's kind of cool be. about yeah. That's because cool part about Bond is it just like it changes, and then the next one will be like, all right, now this is what the franchise is like, and like maybe it'll become goopier again, and then maybe it won't be. You know, you don't know, but it's always fun, and that's what's that's just fun to watch. So, Stegs, what you're saying is there are a couple unhinged Gen Xers out there who love Timothy Dalton, and that's their, oh, their number one Bond. A couple people who like like scottish guys and they just hate their lives and they're uh, uh honestly timothy timothy dalton is the one i relate to most <laughs> dalton, like his movies really were like i think they just came too early because they were like they they fit more in the current bond franchise yeah. than anything else he's daniel craig before daniel craig it's just yeah people weren't ready for it yet no yeah love t dalton all right so the rest of the bond formula you know there, there is a criticism against these movies, and I think it's valid that they are formulaic because they literally follow the same exact kind of structure every single time. But honestly, like, I don't mind it. I just like to see what they do different within that formula. And so I kind of want to go through some of those formulaic elements and discuss some of our favorites. Not necessarily our favorites from our favorite movies, but some shout outs to ones that maybe we won't talk about too much. So I'm going to start. And the first thing I love about these movies is always the pre-credit action sequence. You get the kind of Bond thing where, you know, he's getting looked at through the sniper rifle. He turns towards the camera, he shoots it, the blood comes down. And then you get this pre-credit action sequence that sometimes has to do with the plot, sometimes has nothing to do with the plot. And one of my favorites from not a favorite movie of mine is The Man with the Golden Gun, where Christopher Lee as Scaramanga is hunting a person... (laughs) in this trippy lair with like, it's like an acid trip. And I just fucking love that. Uh, do you guys have any favorite pre-credit action sequences? So most of my favorite pre-credit action sequences are in the movies that we're going to talk about later, but there is one in particular, I know we probably won't touch on too much. And that's the one in um, quantum of solace. I was so hyped for that movie because it was a sequel to, it was like a true sequel to what was or is my favorite Bond, Casino Royale. So the opening credits absolutely, or the pre-credits, I think, absolutely delivers. Like, it picks up right after that movie. It's just awesome. And then that movie falls apart. Sure does. Stegs, you got one? There are a lot of really good historical ones that I'll probably just talk about when we actually talk about the movies. But, But, like, just to give a shout out to a movie I wouldn't normally probably mention all that much is, like, the opening uh, action sequence in in Spectre is also at phenomenal. the Day of the Dead. Yeah, it's Amazing. like visually, I think visually one of the best things Bond has ever put on screen. It, it is, uh, it's really good. Um, and I, I just wanted to give that a shout out to Strictly because I don't think I will mention that movie outside of that. Yeah, we probably won't. And after that pre-credit action sequence, we always get the credits, which are these kind of trippy things and you get an original song over it and i don't know why but the music actually like really matters to me and the theme song uh the one that we probably won't talk about much but really matters to me is diamonds are forever uh the shirley bassey song and just shout out to kanye for sampling that on his track great great choice so i have a very goofy and you guys are gonna make fun of me but a very goofy thing about these opening credit songs I noticed watching through these again, all the early ones fucking loved this horn. And I don't think it's a French horn, but it's a specific type of horn where it wails during the song. It's like that. 
yeah. yeah. Yep. Every every single song for like the first five or seven movies has that in it. <laughs> and I I didn't that's something if we talk about like what did you learn about rewatching it? That's what I learned. People in the 60s and 70s loved Love horns. horns. So Zach, you're saying like the amount of horn is one of your criteria for a Bond movie? <laughs> exactly. The horn has really died off in Adele, modern great song. Not enough horn. More <laughs> horns. I need more horn. No, I love I I the music sequence i agree is like so important to me to the point where like i think it's just it's such a part of it and it's such a thing that doesn't belong in any other movies to the point where like even spy spy hard which is like the straight up spoof from the 90s on this like that has to be there and that's like what makes it clearly a james bond spoof it is arguably the most unique thing about a bond movie is that there's like basically a weird uh lsd screensaver um while to a unique song that just has floating guns every single time and it's i do love those very much and i do agree that like a bad one uh we and we'll get into that with your worst movie uh does uh does definitely uh does not set it up for success do you think do you think apple for their itunes screensaver stole from james bond because that's basically what it is yep sure did next one is the gadgets you guys mentioned these i actually don't care about these and honestly when they get too involved with the gadgets die another day um it takes me out of the movie and i hate it uh but with that said i do love the fold-up plane and octopusy i think that one rules <laughs> gadgets are tantamount man i love yeah. the gadgets like to the point where there's an entire franchise of movies founded on like um, the gadgets aren't as fun and Bond anymore. Let's make Kingsman. Like that's why that came yes. out. Uh, it, like Great people point. miss the gadgets. Uh, so I, I do think yes, it can get carried away. So it's a balancing point. But like Q is an is a crucial character of, and I actually do think like. Daniel Craig ones are a great example. They didn't have, like, they had hardly any gadgets initially. And then they kind of, like, obviously these are a little bit more real world kind of movies, but they're like, all right, let's bring Q back in. Let's, like, let's bring it. Because it is, like, that's part of the franchise is to have gadgets and have Q uh, showing them that. But, yeah, so I do think that's a balancing point. But there are so many gadgets that, like, are my, some of my all-time favorite movie props in general are from this franchise. I do love yeah. how the props have essentially just become coding and hacking in the Daniel Craig ones. Like that yeah. is Q's sole function. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's if there's one weakness of the Daniel Craig movies is that like, except for maybe Spectre, none of them really have much in the way of gadgets, but come on, we got to have some. And uh, for my favorites, I mean, guess where Zach's going to go again? Goldeneye. The laser, the laser watch, I will never forget because I wanted a laser, a laser shooting watch so badly as a nine-year-old to the point where I asked my dad, I was like, "Hey, do those things actually exist?" He's like, "No, Zach, this is a movie. Not real." (laughs) I'm trying to think. All everything that has to do with the cars, um, particularly the Pierce Brosnan ones, because they they really upped the ante. I really love the remote control car in Tomorrow Never Dies. That Mm -hmm. scene fucking rules. Exactly. I always love the, I forget which Brosnan movie it is, but it has the, like, his parka just, like, turns into a big ball. (laughs) The world is not enough when they're skiing, and it's like an avalanche saver. (laughs) I was like, man, I want one of those. That's another great thing about all the Bond movies, though. When Q introduces the gadget, it's always fun because those act as a red herring. You start to think to yourself, how is Bond going to use this absolutely absurd gadget? 
All right, next one, and or actually the last two, and I'll kind of put these together because they're both characters. You have to have the Bond girl. They've been treated like shit a lot of the time throughout this franchise, so it's always nice when the Bond girl actually gets something to do. And the villain. The villain is key. And sometimes there's one villain, and that's always when it functions best. Sometimes there's like four villains, and that's when it kind of falls apart. But... Bond girls and villains are a key part of this franchise. I want to give a shout out to Solitaire, Jane Seymour, Live and Let Die. You guys know? You guys recognize Jane Seymour at all? I knew it was. I know. I've known it was her from like day one, but it always blew my mind because it looks nothing like her. Yeah, Wedding Crashers, Jane yeah. Seymour. She's the older woman who comes on oh, to yes. Owen Wilson. That is her younger, and she looks absolutely stunning. Also, also great uh, jewelry collection at K's. Shout out Jane Seymour. <laughs> I, I think the in terms of quality, the best Bond girl of all time is v- Vesper Lind. And again, you know, I'm indicating what my favorite Bond is. But I'm going to give. I'm gonna. Here's a scorching hot take because I know you guys are gonna disagree with me. My favorite Bond girl of all time, Denise Richards. She is an absolute smoke show. I don't care that she can't act. That was that was the first Bond girl because again I was like twelve at the time when that movie came out. The right. first Bond girl where she caught my fucking attention—that's for sure. Denise Richards as a nuclear physicist stretches the bounds of reality more so than a lot of the things in this fucking franchise. I've I've it. always wanted to have Christmas in Turkey. All right, that's all I'll say. I don't want to gloss over though the importance of each Bond villain having something very unique and bizarre about them, which I think is great. Um, I know we'll mention, like, with some of the movies we really dive into, we'll mention the specific villains, but even though even the crappier Bond, quote-unquote crappier Bond movies, like The Man with the Golden Gun, Scaramanga has... Scaramanga's awesome. Yep. He has a golden gun that kills everybody in one shot. Also it's ridiculous. Phenomenal props. Or di- phenomenal um, tie-in to the fucking game. It's awesome. Actually, I out of curiosity, this complete side note, but how much do you feel like the game influenced your like love for the man with the golden gun? Because I feel like I didn't see the man with the golden gun until after I, I played the game. And at that point, I just like it was like a legendary weapon in that game. Yes. To the point where like I just liked the movie already, but I feel like it's on paper of be outside of that. It's not that good. Way, way too much, Stags. I, I'm right there with you. Because of because of the golden gun, I like that movie way more, even though it's not that very good. Same thing with Moonraker. The Moonraker laser is awesome in that game. So I like that movie a lot because it's a badass weapon. Even though, again, not a great movie. Yeah, now I want to know what movie has the RCP90 in there. Yeah. <laughs> key weapon the king of weapons in that in that game power weapon is a great setting for multiplayer it's my favorite Mm -hmm. it's the only setting really so (laughs) all right so let's go to the power rankings the we're going to do this in a tier system and for these tiers i've named them after a bond one-liner we didn't mention this in the bond formula but the bond one-liners are a key part of his character and the game is i'm going to say the one-liner, you guys try and tell me what movie it's from and what the scene is. The first one, it is the bottom tier. It is a movie of one. This tier is called Shocking, Positively Shocking. That sounds to me like a Connery quote, but I can't remember what it, what one it would be. It is a Connery quote. Who does he fry? Oh, Obviously, right after he, he fries kills Ajab. Right after he kills Ajab. 
Very close, but it is in that movie. He says something else. He says he blew a fuse to Odd Job. Nice. The electrocutes <laughs> someone else in Goldfinger. So it is from Goldfinger. It's after he electrocutes someone in a tub, and he says, "Shocking, positively shocking." Yes. I'm myself. <laughs> I do remember that. And this is a tier of one. It's Die Another Day. This movie fucking sucks. It's the only one that I actively dislike. Like I can find things about every other Bond movie that like I can get. I can get with. This is the only one that I hate, like, all the way through. The the Pierce Brosnan file in me wants to defend this, but I don't think I can. It I The only thing I'll argue is that the Madonna song is better than people give it credit for. I'm not arguing... <laughs> I'm not, arguing that it's, I'm not arguing that it's the best. I'm you not. You lost all your credibility, man. That's the worst fucking song in the franchise. Terrible, terrible take. I'm not, I'm not arguing that it's a great song. I just, it's not as horrible as you guys are making it out to be. But no, this movie deserves no, to be bad. Hot. It's real bad. It's, <laughs> it's borderline. So like, it's a torture song to a torture scene. You you uh, don't like the, the line Sigmund Freud analyzed this? It's brutal, man. If I was told I couldn't watch Bond ever again and I was just like, I was stuck with just this movie, I think I'd probably still come back to it here and there, like realistically, because it's like, you know, it, it's still a Bond movie, but it is, um, yeah, it's bottom barrel. They wasted Halle Berry in it. Sure did. All right. The next tier down is, or well, I suppose it's the next tier up. This is my movies where they have moments, but they're not particularly good. I've entitled this one, He Always Did Have an Inflated Opinion of Himself. Name that movie. Oh, I know exactly the scene. I can't think of the movie. It, it's a villain. He's a black guy. And it's in... Oh. Is that in the, yeah, is that in the shark tank? Yeah. Live yep. and let die. Live and yeah. let die. He inflates him and he well, blows up. He well, blows up a person. <laughs> yes. That is the one. And in this tier, I have four movies. It is Diamonds Are Forever, For Your Eyes Only, The Man with the Golden Gun, and Quantum of Solace. Each one of these, there's things that I like about them, but on the whole, I don't think they're particularly good movies. <laughs> Preparation H does feel good <laughs> on the whole. Quantum of Solace, I'll just say, has probably the most forgettable villain in the entire series, even worse than Die Another Day. I just want to say that Quantum of Solace kind of got fucked by the writer's strike. That ruined the movie, yeah. and that's I unfortunate. Also- I've got one last scorching hot take, and I know you guys are going to disagree with it. Quantum of Solace, the um, the song with uh, Jack Black and Be- it's Beyonce, right? I really enjoy that song. I think it's great. I think Jack it's Jack Black White. And Beyonce? What? Or Jack White. Jack White. Yeah, what <laughs> Jack <am I> White. <laughs> Jack Black and Beyonce. I would love oh to that. That's amazing. You can tell it's still early here, but yes, I actually kind of do wish it was Jack Black and Beyonce now. <laughs> Tenacious D featuring Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the next tier up is my solid entertainment. These are just good. Um, but nothing great about them i've entitled this one vodka martini shaken not stirred obviously this is in nearly every movie the reason i named it this is because again james bond a man of impeccable taste should be having his vodka martini mixed the correct way and he just doesn't and i don't understand it It, just like i don't understand what went wrong with some of these movies because there's really good parts but also it just doesn't doesn't work totally in this category, I have Spectre, The Living Daylights, You Only Live Twice, A View to a Kill, Moonraker, and Octopussy. And with Spectre, like we said, phenomenal opening sequence. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. I do at least 
enjoy that they tried actually that they tried to bring Blofeld back and they brought Blofeld back. One of the weirdest things I think maybe about the Daniel Craig bonds is that they brought Blofeld back. Like if you if you had to think of one villain and one type of bond like that don't mesh, it's like brooding, dark uh Daniel Craig and then like the goofiest main main like cat petting guy but they still made it work they made it work it could have been so much better is my thing with this movie because what you're positing in this movie is that Blofeld was really responsible for the events of the previous three films he killed M he killed Vesper Lind the love of his life but then you put it you put this plot line in this goofy Bond movie so I like that you're doing a goofy Bond thing with Daniel Craig like I don't mind that but why waste such a great plot on that this should be dark revenge mode bond and just go full on like despair bond. That's what I would want with this plot line. And it just doesn't deliver. Actually, you know what? Now that I never thought of this, but now that you mentioned that specters villain, obviously Blofeld or that, what you just mentioned should have been what we got in quantum of solace. Yeah. So yeah. that they should, if you marry those two movies, you probably have a perfect Daniel Craig bond movie. The, what was the only other thing that I was going to bring up? Oh, uh, a view to a kill, Duran Duran. Love it. Absolutely it's love good. it. It is good. Points I, against it for criminally underusing Christopher Walken. Also, Grace good Jones. Point. Grace Jones. Grace uh, Jones, yeah. Phenomenal. Mayday. Yeah, phenomenal. Um, I will also say, just as a shout out to just the absolute balls on a whole industry for calling a movie Octopussy, and we're just like, just deal with it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the balls of dressing up bond as a clown and having him defuse a bomb while in clown like, makeup like this is what definitely, the fuck like, you can tell like cocaine was much more popular in the industry <laughs> at the time because yeah. it's called it's like dude okay it's called octopussy we're gonna throw in some fucking gator costumes we're gonna throw in a clown scene and you're gonna love it all right uh like it's, it's ridiculous that it's so here. off the wall Roger Moore coming out of an alligator is probably the most representative uh, image of what you could have as Roger Moore being James Bond. That is ultimately why I have a lot of these movies in the kind of solid entertainment category, because they're not good movies, but there's so much goofy shit happening in a lot of them that I'm just like, yeah, I, I'll, I'll watch this again. Let's go to the next tier up. This is a sub tier in the second tier. It is essentially 2B. This is where Steggs and I are just going to go off about two of our favorites that really maybe don't belong, but ultimately we think they should be. Uh, Steggs, start us off. Talk to us about Live and Let Die. This may just be a factor of like I saw this on uh, on like TNN when that used to be a, a network and I just latched on to it early on and then I got the VHS and then I was just like one of those ones I continually re-explored. It has enough hooks of like really um, memorable things in the movie that like for someone who watched it as a kid I'm latched onto those and I kind of forget all the like fact that like the plot's kind of a little boring at times it's like it has one of my all time favorite gadgets in the Omega watch that you turn and it turns into a magnet to the point where I've been looking for one as like a replica forever I love it so See, much you guys make fun of me for wanting laser watch oh, you dude, I, I just watch. didn't want to say it until I got to this one I there's so <laughs> when he unzips oh, the yeah, woman's yeah, dress yeah. with the magnet watch yeah. oh, it's a good <laughs> sheer magnetism darling oh, oh very nice no it's if I'm so gonna if 
If I'm going to nitpick, it always bothered me that the zipper doesn't really follow in line with the watch. No, it's a that's so that prop. I love the prop. Baron Samity is like like just a really fun villain. Like it, it's really really, and the guy does an amazing job with all his scenes. Um, so you have that. You have the Shark Tanks. Um, it has probably maybe not the best but definitely a top three bond song and definitely the one that has the most oh. listenability outside of bond number one. yeah i it think is. it's number one personally yeah I, th I think if you're if i was gonna like put a checklist of like best bond song i would probably say Goldfinger as number one as a Fair bond enough. song but if i was just gonna listen to a song just in my life it's oh, living yeah. that high. it's it's Has an all-time classic uh it is so good and like there's just like a couple of things like that i just think uh, i i don't even know why because if you watch it it's like this is good but like but, <laughs> i but, really like, like so many elements of this movie like yeah. i love black exploitation films so the fact that they're kind of bringing that into this world i love that i love solitaire we mentioned that there's so many things about this movie that i really love but like you said, like it's very slow at points, like painfully so. Bad, but there's bad. so many good things about this movie. I think that's what it is. I think maybe this might just have a phenomenal, it might be like one of the best Bond highlight reels if you boiled it down to all the fun yeah. scenes. But then if you took all the other stuff, it's like a really shitty show that didn't get past the third episode on like a sub-tier network. Um, so like it's definitely a balancing act, but it has some really awesome stuff. Yeah, going off that, the highlight reel idea, that definitely speaks to my choice for this 2B category, and it is Timothy Dalton's License to Kill. The opening scene of this movie includes him and Felix Leiter capturing the bad guy, and then they parachute into Felix Leiter's wedding, where James Bond is the best man, and they marry Felix Leiter after parachuting in. <laughs> so oh if that's not God. enough to sell you, I don't know what is. Because then after that, the cartel leader who they captured in that opening scene goes and kills Felix Leiter's new bride and feeds Fat Felix Leiter to a shark. James Bond gets pissed, quits the Secret Service, and goes full-on fucking revenge mode. Like, as I described that, like, I don't know who's not in on that movie. <laughs> yeah, you. the way you just described it, too, actually, just made me want to go rewatch it again because you're right like you should there it's are some awesome. badass badass stakes in it too like that if you think of, if now that i'm thinking about it that's probably one of the first times or if not the first time they went that far like they did that in a bond movie they like they feed felix Leiter to, to shark shark <laughs> right um and, and kill his bride like yeah. that is that's intense uh, that's Daniel Craig-esque or even more so. Yeah, it brings a personal element into it, which I really enjoy. Yeah, I definitely, I think you said this earlier, like this movie, they definitely took it a lot of elements of this movie and brought it to Daniel Craig. Um, yeah. Like it, it's like that, sh the, it's the, the cold-blooded killer aspect that none of the other Bonds had except for this Dalton and then obviously into Craig. But yeah, this is a good movie. I agree. It's definitely not the best, but I do like that you included it in this spot. <laughs> Fun fact, Talissa Soto is a smoke show in this, and then she's a smoke show as Kitana in Mortal Kombat. Oh, yeah. I forgot yeah. she was Kitana. Two other little tidbits. The right-hand man to the cartel leader is a very, very young Benicio Del Toro, yeah. which is awesome to oh, see. Oh, nice. I don't even remember that. And then... There's two little things. I don't know if anyone noticed this, but me. Um, but the main cartel guy is played by Robert Davey, 
And then there's a DEA agent played by Grand L. Bush. Wait, who's Grand? So I thought you were going to mention Wayne Newton, which I thought was hysterical. Well, that's also a great part of this movie, but... Uh, who's Grand L. Bush? Why? He doesn't even have a picture on IMDb. But... No, I found... Yeah, I know who you're talking about. What a... He's... Why do I recognize him? Because these two guys, Robert Davey and Grand L. Bush, are in Die Hard, and they play the Johnson FBI dickhead yes. guys together. <laughs> and they reunite in this movie one year later. And it was like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my God, these guys. Holy shit. Also, Robert Davey, uh, shout out, uh, shout out Goonies. <laughs> For real. Great Goonies. Dude, I never, I never, good call. I never would have put that together, but you're absolutely right. Also, Grand Al <laughs> Bush, I'll go to another shitty fighting video game movie. Uh, he plays Balrog in the Street Fighter movie. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's just a lot of great tidbits. I love License to Kill. If you haven't watched this in a while, go revisit it, knowing full well that it is batshit when you go in. But I love it because of its just sheer what the fuckery. Um, let's go to the proper second tier now. That was our 2B. This one I am entitling Now the Whole World's Gonna Know That You Died Scratching My Balls. Which movie is that from? We all know that's that. a layup for me. Skin <laughs> Royale right there. So. Yeah. yeah, during the torture sequence. I don't know why I named this category this. Basically, I think it's a very good one-liner, and Tier 2 is full of very good Bond movies. That's the only connection I have. <laughs> I mean, I think that, that fits. It's a really absurd quote to throw in here, but it does fit. <laughs> I just love that he says that while being tortured. It's a, it's a real flex. The bottom of the second tier... I think based on kind of all of our opinions probably has to be the world is not enough. I love this movie because it's a Pierce Brosnan movie. I love this movie because it's the first time that the proper villain was a woman and she absolutely kills it in this movie, Electra. And there's a lot of great things about it. Christmas Jones is not one of them, (laughs) Uh, but I really do enjoy the world is not enough, and I understand we're probably Pierce Brosnan homers here, but I think it's I think it's second tier, but it's probably got to be the bottom of it. Uh, so special shout out to I think it's Garbage who sings the opening theme song. Right? Good song, good song. Garbage is so underrated as a '90s, early 2000s rock band. But either way, love the song. Electra. Every time I watch this movie, I've seen this movie 20 times at least. Every time, I'm still disappointed in her. Like, it still gets me. Um, Not disappointed in her character, but, like, disappointed in her choices. Like, exa- you're invested. Yeah, very, yeah. Very dis- like, okay, I get it. You were kidnapped. That doesn't mean you have to get Stockholm Syndrome, Electra. All right? Bond is trying to help you out. You I think jerk. psychologically that's exactly what it means if we talk to a therapist. <laughs> listen, listen, lady. All right? You grew up a rich kid. All right? The, you just, the you just keep you women need. and tell them to get out of their hysteria. Is that your move? I think that's <laughs> yeah. bringing out you know, some bad look shit. Look at the way he's <laughs> dressed. Of course, that's his move. <laughs> you know, any anytime my wife is mad at me, I just say to her, "Have you tried calming down?" <laughs> it works. Crazy. It works. Oh yeah, tell I a swear. woman to relax. That always fucking ends well. Yeah. Uh, but seriously, Electra, grow up. the The return of Valentino. Absolutely love it. Uh, such a shame that he has to die. Oh, no, wait. Am I mixing that up with Tomorrow Never Dies now? No, Valentin dies in this. Um, or or Valentin, yeah. There's a great scene in this movie with the helicopters that have yes. the tree chopping down apparatus attached mm-hmm. to it. Okay. Caviar so, factory one. Yeah, so caviar remember, factory. I talked about red herrings with gadgets. 
that that was the ultimate red herring. I remember even as a kid thinking, dude, they're going to do something cool with this helicopter. That I don't know why it's ingrained in my head that into the caviar and that like caviar texture on his neck. I yeah. still love, I, like, I was like, whoever the art department was in this, like nice job guys. Like, I love that so much. There's the production um, de- designer and Steggs coming wait, out. Yeah, cause Steggs, I don't know what you're talking about. What What are you, what do you mean? When Valentine gets like tossed into the caviar and he's oh. just there and it's just sloshing on his jowls. I'm like, that's a great looking caviar. <laughs> yeah, I, on yeah. his jowls is the key. <laughs> <laughs> but I also love the the apparatus, the neck break apparatus at the end. Like there are some really cool moments in this. It and I will also say, as far as Christmas Jones is concerned, like I gotta give props to these. Like that was a very self aware and like almost probably the most self parodying um, like casting they've ever had. Like just to, to, to like let's make Denise Richards a freaking like physicist of the work. They were aware, but was Denise Richards aware? Because I don't no. think so. The not joke was on her. She was not in on the joke. <laughs> Which makes it work better for everyone else. So the next one down from World is Not Enough, I'm going to say it should probably be Dr. No. This is an important movie. It obviously starts the whole thing. There's a lot of iconic imagery like Ursula Andress as the uh, Honey Rider, the original Bond girl emerging from the ocean onto the beach. And it still holds up a lot of parts. Dr. No is a great villain. But, you know, I think it's not top tier Bond. Ultimately, I think they did it better with some of the older Connery ones. This is the Model T of the Bond franchise. Um, It is early bond it is definitively bond but in the same way the model t was definitively a car but if you got in a model t the brakes and the gas like and the shifting like isn't even standard like it's not it's that wasn't it wasn't standardized yet so like this is bond before the formula was fully uh was fully there and like it has the exotic locale it's got um you know being Connery just oozing uh, charisma. It's just a different kind of movie. I found, I always found this movie to be like, it feels a little bit older, but it's still a very fun movie. No, yeah, I, I agree with all that. I don't have a ton about this, but uh, a couple quick things that I just noticed throughout the movie. James Bond ripping darts, awesome. Like only <laughs> Sean Connery can pull that off. It's incredible. Also, we're talking about Ursula Andress, but but James Bond in that scene too. Incredible, like jean blue polo sweater combo. That's he looks awesome. Yeah, his Sean Connery's outfits were fucking impeccable in those movies. Yes, um, and then just the op- like the opening scene, him at the poker table is just clap. Like there's that's probably the perfect image of James Bond. Yeah, Baccarat, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, well, the, yes. Yeah. They uh they just improved on it. You know, this set the template, but they improved on it. And I think the one that kind of perfected the template is in our top tier. I think all of us agree on that. So we'll get to that a little bit later. All right. So the next one, this is probably where we're going to need to debate a little bit what should go next. Because personally, I think it should be Tomorrow Never Dies. I know you guys are a little bit higher on this movie than me. Um, or we could go from Russia with Love here. I have a lot of appreciation for from for from Russia with love. I think it's a phenomenal movie. The train fight scene is just iconic. And you know, Zach, that's the one place where I disagree with you. The violence and the sheer like battle in that train fight, I think is really, really good, especially when you take into account when it was made. Um, But yeah, I think it's either tomorrow never dies or from Russia with love here. What do y'all, what do y'all think? 
I'm actually it'd be at this point like we're high enough up that I could see either one, but I would say, um, I would say from Russia with Love here. Um, I do this. This is a great movie. This and this is a like I think a top tier Bond movie. But I do think a lot of people haven't seen this movie, at least in the modern like group of people. I think it was a classic back then. I do agree though about the train scene. I was gonna say that because like I think one of the main things for people when when Daniel Craig first came out and everyone was like oh he's so tough and like I think it was always compared to like he's the first Bond since Connery that looks like if you like I said before like if you punch him he's staying down and like this is a brutal fight and like this they I, I bet you they barely choreographed this I think it was literally just like Sean Connery's a bodybuilder and we're just gonna let him shove people in the walls like <laughs> I think it was basically that and they literally ripped this train scene for one of the new ones and they did it with Daniel Craig and Dave Bautista on a train inspector so like they took this exact scene and were like this is so fucking good that we're gonna bring it into this new one and like update it. I will put tomorrow never dies higher. I'll be the, the uh, pain in the ass here only because I love, and Corey, you and I talked about this. I love how, uh, how much it can be applied to, or the, the central plot can be applied to what's going on today um, with the way the media can control the narrative across the world and can control in a sense, control events. Now, obviously this is a bond movie where it's hyper sensationalized, but is it, is it that really? I don't think so, because Jonathan Price is essentially playing Ro Rupert Murdoch. Right, right. And he's inciting war between China and the United States. And, like, that I love about this movie, but ultimately that's why I kind of, I think I hold it against it a little bit because I wanted it to be so much better. And that's, it just didn't hit, but it should be so good because of how prescient it is. So I, I will dock it points because it makes me mad for killing off Terry Hatcher. So early, I was say right? that biggest waste of a, I, I, I also feel like they did it as a red herring. Obviously, but like definitely biggest waste of an actress in, in a Bond movie. I feel like. Ex exactly. And uh, that, there's a quote I always remember. Uh, Tell me, James, do you still sleep with a gun under your pillow? Don't say that, Terry. Just don't say it. But like we talked about the, uh, the remote controlled BMW, I actually like BMWs. So I don't, I don't mind. I, Aston Martin's a classic, but I do like the BMWs. I don't dislike um, the company as a BMW. Like I don't dislike, they did cool things with the cars. I mean, but this was like a weird era. Like this, like to me, Aston Martin is like an integral yeah. part of James Bond. You can't just toss it away for exclusively BMW. I'm okay. Well, so, down the road. so I'm biased because my parents, here's a fun fact, actually leased the Z3, the like sky blue Z3 from Goldeneye when I was a kid. So we had it for two years and I've always loved it ever since. So Zach's whipping around BMWs going on Nantucket vacations. And he's like, <laughs> I don't know why I like these movies. I just feel at home in these, in these exotic uh, locales. I know. I God, I'm coming across as such a douche. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know what's great is you have your Redskins logo right over the top of his shoulder. <laughs> Just adds to the sheer douchery. All right, oh, we're going to go to the that. next one. I think what has to go here, because we have three movies remaining in the second tier, and two of the movies, one of us has it in the top tier, but the rest don't necessarily agree. So I think what has to go here is The Spy Who Loved Me. And I absolutely love this movie. It's Roger Moore doing what Roger Moore should do. He's in a globe-trotting rom-com with Barbara Bach. There's just so many great things about this movie. The the opening pre-credit sequence where he skis off a cliff and it goes silent for like 10 seconds. 
and then he opens a parachute with the British flag on it, and that's when the bomb, bomb theme song yes, he kicks yeah. in. It's so epic. Um, I love The Spy Who Loved Me. I know you're pretty high on this one too, Steg. So wh- what do you love about this one? This is one of my favorite Bond movies for sure. It's by far away my favorite Roger Moore movie. And like, I also was just a big Roger Moore fan for a while. I, he's like, he hasn't held up as much in my eyes as like some of the other ones have as I've gotten older. But this movie, it has so many good elements. Um, that opener was when we were talking about openers earlier. This is the one I was going to mention later. Like this is, I think maybe one of the best openers ever. It's uh, it's yeah. so like just the first like real ski that they did, which is like a big thing. Obviously they had it in, in a couple other ones, but this is like the legit, like when you're thinking about bond skiing, which is like a weird trope to be thinking about, but I guess it has to be because uh, there's enough of it. How about when he sleds on a cello case in the living daylights? <laughs> <laughs> there's so many weird, yeah, it is bond skiing like on mountains. It's like, it's kind of a funny thing that that would be a trope, but it is. Yeah. Um, but uh, you have, that i mean it's a great love story um just in general like you're saying it is the most romantic bond movie i would say like of of the bunch it's definitely the way the plot went this actually has i love like live and let die is amazing goldfinger amazing this is my favorite bond song i love this song so much marvin hamlish carly uh simon it's so good it's really good. um yeah it's amazing i get it in my head all the time um but then also it has like, I mean, one of the best, I, maybe the best Bond car with the amphibious uh, Lotus. Like it's, yeah. it's, there's some really amazing stuff in this movie. And like, I think overall, like outside of that, it's kind of a little bit more of a tame, like kind of more like shrunken down plot than a normal movie would be. Um, but it's. Uh, it kind of focuses it, on that romance. And I yeah, quite like yeah. that. I So this is going to sound like a complaint, but this is 100% a hundred percent a compliment about the movie. Would you could you say that this is the most influential movie for the Austin Powers franchise? I think it's this and Diamonds Are Forever because you have the old Vegas gambling thing in mm-hmm. uh, Austin Powers. I think those are the two that it kind of rips off the most personally, but it takes from all of them. Yeah, um, I mean, random task is clearly just odd job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who throws a shoe? It's bloody ridiculous. And then the, the one thing we were just, I know we were talking about this before we got started, but like the the layer coming out of the water and it very clearly in today's, like with our, our eyes today, it's like a model or toy that they're bringing out of a bathtub. Yeah. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Again, I don't mean this as an insult, but it is really funny because then it cuts to the villain in his like very luxurious room that could not possibly fit within the layer that they're showing you. Yeah. Let's go to the top of tier two. These are movies that, you know, Steggs, you and I had these in tier one. Um, but, you know, for whatever reason, the other folks are a little bit lower on them. But these are the two movies, Thunderball and On Her Majesty's Secret Service. I think On Her Majesty's Secret Service is an absolute classic. I love this movie so much. Steggs, you're a big fan of Thunderball. These are kind of the two that we have to debate um about order but talk to us about thunderball what do you love about this one so much i have thunderball arguably at the top of my list overall for bond and like i think it used to be goldfinger but goldfinger has and like goldfinger is still amazing um but goldfinger has a little bit more problematic stuff that hasn't aged that well which i don't really like you should detract but like i don't really detract from it that much because we already talked about this before it's like it's just like 
it's like, the era yeah it's the era we understand that it like was it but like i also just think just removing that like while the goldfinger has some amazing set pieces and like has some like really classic stuff i think thunderball is actually the peak of of when the formula really hit um early on and the peak of sean connery um bond it is i mean the underwater photography like is amazing like and it's just it's i think it holds up in a way that goldfinger i feel like you're watching it and it's more of like this holds up but it's in a very classic way and you're like oh like an artifact exactly you're kind of giving it like a a pass because it's like oh that's older and like so the camera style is different like the fact like the amount of time that we're underwater in thunderball and things like that and like there's so many things in that capacity that just make it just excellent it's got a great bond girl it has um really cool exit at the end with it's actually an actual plane the cia it was it's called skyhook it was like they actually talk oh, about yeah. it in uh i think it's in uh dark knight um yeah yes. yeah, yeah i was like that's a thunderball <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i love this it's a great movie i i agree with you i really like thunderball but honestly what you identified as my main problem we spend so much time of this movie fighting underwater that i just like lose my bearings i'm like I we were underwater for an hour of this two hour movie and I just can't I can't. So this is like a personal thing, but yeah. I think it's understandable. I think it's it is a problem. I just think because it's so unique that we're underwater for that long, I still think it's some of the best underwater stuff ever made. And it's like so it holds up. I think it, I think that's one of the reasons I like it so much is it does just while it's also kind of perfecting the formula, it just holds up in a way that isn't just because it's classic, also just because it's like Honestly, in a lot of the Bond movies, like you don't really get that much really good like cinematic visuals until later. I mean, like the the Candle Craig stuff is a different level. It's like actually yeah. like like you're bringing in directors that really like are basically like successful in a visual way outside of Bond versus everything else is kind of more like you're just churning out directors. But Thunderball, I think, because it's underwater, still holds those like oh, I remember this shot, which I don't really remember that much in other things. So. Zach, I want to get to your thoughts on Thunderball in just a second, but I want to say that that right there is why I love Honor Majesty's Secret Service so much, because I think it's one of the most visually interesting Bond films um, until some of the later ones. But Zach, talk to us about your thoughts on Thunderball. Yeah, so Thunderball, I, I do rate, again, that we're talking like nitpicking here, placing one over the other, but Thunderball I like a little better. You guys pretty much nailed everything I could have said. So I'll just stick to some fun facts, which I really like about Thunderball. I'm going back to Austin Powers. Number two being in this is fucking awesome. I absolutely love it. So uh, you have that. Um, Thunderball also just sticks out to me because I went, when I was like 25 or something, um, Natalie and I went to a the- a retro theater in New York and saw this with a crowd of people because they were showing it right before Skyfall came out and it was like it was like the perfect atmosphere it was a bunch of Bond enthusiasts going to this like enjoying the hell out of this ridiculous movie together and um, yeah I just I Thunderball I think it holds a special place in my heart because of that great movie to see on a big screen too I'd love to see that in a theater yeah for sure so I'll talk about Honor Majesty's Secret Service quickly you know Thunderball being above it, fine. I Again, like, these movies are all so great that I can't really, like, argue. Um, but I love this movie. I think visually it's one of the most interesting. 
I think it set the template for a lot of the more interesting choices that the Bond films made later in the sense that, you know, you have this visually interesting palette. This is the one where Bond falls in love for the first time for real falls in love and gets married. And then his wife is assassinated. So that really sets the template for Casino Royale where Vesper Lind, he falls in love and they kill her off. So a lot of the more interesting things that we love about some of these top tier movies, Honor Majesty's Secret Service did it first and they did it in 1969. So I hold that like in high regard. And the action in this movie is incredible. I think there's this 30 minute sequence at the end where he skis down the mountain, again, the skiing thing, and he's escaping the lair. And then it goes into this like 15 minute driving escape sequence where they go onto this ice rink where they're racing. And it's just incredible. And in between all of that, there's this one scene that always sticks out in my mind because I think it's unique to the whole series where George Lazenby is sitting on a bench and the the henchmen are chasing him. And when he's sitting on that bench, I think it's the only time in the entire series where Bond looks legit scared and vulnerable. And I think Lazenby is the only one that could pull that off because he's not really a seasoned actor and he's not like a movie star. But it's unique to the series in that way because there's real stakes and he has some fear in him. He's not this like impossible, you know, superhero like character. He's an actual human in a real situation. So I just really love this movie and I hold it in incredibly high regard. I know a lot of people hold the Lazenby thing against it and that's fine. But I I love this movie immensely. So, so Corey, actually what I wanted to ask you, um, can you explain further what it is you like about Lazenby? Because if I were to rank the Bonds, Lazenby would be last, but that's also a function of just him only being in one movie. Um, I think you could talk more articul- articulately about it. Like, what what do you like about Lazenby versus, or compared to all the other Bonds? There's a vulnerability to him. That's it. Like, and that vulnerability makes him human. You know, and all these others, there's like a robotic nature because he's super suave and super cool. He's like the perfect imagination of what a man is and that's kind of what this series is and that's fine and you know it's escapism so I like that this is the one movie where he's actually human and I think Lazenby's inexperience as an actor is what makes him so human I don't think he's a good actor but I think the fact that he's able to kind of just be uncomfortable on screen that comes through in the character and I really like that about it I do th- I do recognize that it has informed a lot of the Craig Bond um you know aspects like obviously Craig is much more brutal and things like that but like there are those moments like the shower scene in uh uh Casino Royale where like I feel like that if Lazenby did wasn't Bond that doesn't happen um yeah. but I also feel like I was very much part of that group where like growing up, I had a friend who was like, just trying to be contrarian was like, Oh, Lazenby is the best bond. And then I just (laughs) doubled down and was like, nah. And then I just never really gave this movie as much of a shot as I should. You're also not friends with that guy anymore. Oh no, I never talked to him. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not saying Lazenby is the best bond. Like he's probably uh, the worst bond, but it's a unique take on bond. And in something so formulaic, I like that this is kind of a unique standalone film almost. Not to keep, sorry, not, and I know we got to move on, but like not to keep hammering Lazenby, I'm on uh, his Wikipedia. I didn't realize there are a ton of quotes from the other James Bond, uh, Bond actors where like they all, it seems like they almost felt bad for him for getting panned so much because there are all these quotes like, yeah, and one time Connery actually admitted to Lazenby that he was very good. And then there's another one where Roger Moore talks about how he, 
he had email conversation back and forth with Lazenby about his role as Bond. There's a lot of reverence for this movie, too. I mean, like, if you talk to filmmakers, like, Steven Soderbergh, this is by far, like, his favorite Bond movie because he thinks it's the most visually interesting. And, like, I find that, too. And I'm not trying to be snobbish about it. I I know I am a snob, but, like, I'm not being snobbish about this. I, I genuinely do love this movie. I think it's very good. But I understand, you know, personal preference. Instead of back porch media, it should be a snob and a douche. <laughs> And finally, we will go to tier one. This one I have entitled Bond, James Bond. Because for the elite tier of Bond movies, you have to have his go-to quote. Just has to be. Yeah, there's no other. I mean, maybe you could say martini shaken, not stirred. But no, Bond, James Bond is the way to do it. He should stir his martinis. <laughs> That's my <laughs> take. Um, the four films in the top tier are Golden Eye, Goldfinger, Casino Royale, and Skyfall. I think probably in the top tier, GoldenEye should be bottom. I don't think it holds up to the other three. I think we all love this movie immensely because of what it means to us. And I think it is a very good movie on its own merits. But compared to these other three, I don't necessarily think it holds up. So I think GoldenEye should probably be the bottom of this. Any problems with that? I think I think that's the logical place to put it. But as far as just a shout out to GoldenEye, like, I do think it might have my favorite and most realistic villain and relationship to the villain. I think to the point where like some of them, I just don't remember. And like, I think it's a failing where it's like the villain has to be this otherworldly thing. And like, they just made it. So like Sean Bean's awesome. He's just so good. And like the whole plot, them, their conversations, just Pierce Brosnan and Sean Bean, like you, you feel it. And it's just like, I just, I think it's maybe my favorite, just I'm making this declaration right now the first time ever, but like, I think it might be my favorite like villain relationship in the, uh, in the whole franchise. I completely agree. I think they brought a personal touch to this that makes it work so well where they have a prior relationship. And I think there's so many layers to the bean character Trevelyan where like his, his family was abandoned by the British government. He was a Lienz Cossack and they abandoned his family. So you really get why he is this way with so many bond villains. It's just like, they're an egomaniac who want to take over the world. And it's like, okay, that gets boring after a while, but you actually get his motivation in this movie. And I think it makes it that much better to me, just as a caveat or side note, these are all my Mount Rushmore of bond movies. So like if I were to rank this fourth, I think I'd rank it third, but if I ranked it fourth, like, I hold these in so much higher regard than even the tier right below it that it's not really an insult. Like I fucking love Goldeneye. It's it's fourth out of twenty four movies. Like you can't right. get mad. Like it's a fucking amazing movie. Oh, Ghost Eggs. What do you got? It's, 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 I thought it was Trevlin. Isn't it Trevlin or is it Trevelyan? I think I it's thought it was Alec Trevelyan. That's I mean, what I thought wrong. too. It might, I've been yeah. it wrong my entire life. If that's the case, Dude, he's always my selection in in Goldeneye too. Like he's always the character I play with. But anyway, I always so, go like, helicopter pilot. Oh, very- <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, Zach. I do like that. No, so so like the whole concept of having the villain be a Leon's Cossack. Uh, again, I maybe I'm just overthinking it, but like I think that actually plays better even in today's day and age than it did in 1995 when this came out just in that like we as society are i think getting better but are still grappling with like how our governments and cultures 
abused certain subcultures in the past. And this is a perfect example, like the British government betraying these Lienz Cossacks who helped uh, who helped out the British government when it came to, I forget the whole history, but either World way. World War II. World War II, right. So that is really fascinating to apply it to a Bond movie. And that's what they're doing here. And that's why the villain is acting in the way that he is. Now, he also goes over the top and is, mas- is looking to massacre people. So got to slap him on the wrist for that. But no, it's like with all the best villains, like, yes, they go too far, but you understand what made them that way. It makes them an actual character as opposed to just this like megalomaniacal, I want to take over the world. And it's just like, eh, I I, I don't need that. You actually get the character motivation. Right, right. Absolutely. So I thought, I mean, that is really cool unto itself. And then also... I really love how this is I this is the first Bond movie post Cold War. So it's wrestling with who is a villain and who is our enemy now that the USSR has fallen apart and Russia isn't technically an enemy an, anymore. They come up with a really cool plot where like you have these holdouts within Russia who still want to fight for the glory days and take down the West. So they marry that with Trevelyan. It like this movie just fucking rocks and it really does it's awesome Great and movie. it's Pierce Brosnan's most serious role of all of his four movies where he's like he's Timothy Dalton-esque in this Famke Jansen I don't know if that's how you say her first name yeah. but she's yeah. phenomenal uh Zendia you get, on a top fucking amazing Steggs is rattled he doesn't know to, know how to pronounce I don't know pronounce anybody's name, name anymore. <laughs> uh no and then we got Bor- like Boris I mean Vietzel, uh that's like it's just like, like there's comic relief in the right spots it's it's oh God, it is a good movie, man. I love that movie so much. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. You know, for history's sake, I think it has to be in the conversation, but I think Goldfinger's probably third. I think this movie set the template. I can see Steg's your argument that Thunderball improved on it, but this is what brought the entire formula to fruition. It had the first pre-credit action sequence. It had the incredible Bod song and Goldfinger with Shirley Bassey in the horns. <laughs> the original Bond girl with the stupid name Pussy Galore, which does not age well, but still, like, that is great. There's a lot of through lines of Pussy Galore that don't age well. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. It also and makes then, no sense. Who was naming people that back then? I have no idea. Like, I, that can't be a real name. That's clearly just an Ian Fleming fucking flex. <laughs> but, you know, you got the villain who turns people to gold. That's like an iconic thing. And he's got this obsession with taking over Fort Knox. So it kind of ties in. And Odd Job has to be like an all time character, both for his stock in the video game GoldenEye, which is very important to all of us. And if you play with a Odd Job, you're fucking worst um but you know there's so many great things about this movie and i i I really admire it uh for what it brought to the franchise i would say my i'll I'll, I'll defer to zag and just say my only two points on this probably the most iconic song yeah and i would say probably the most iconic bond image ever with just the gold the the body on the bed the body Uh, on the bed and him standing over it yeah yeah that is like so many like the body on the the body on the bed, then him. Um, do you expect me to talk? No, I expect you to die on the laser table, Excellent. and then <laughs> even the beginning at uh, I forget where it is. Whatever at the resort in the beginning where he's playing, uh, where he's cheating in poker. Yeah. Like even that's iconic. It's such a cool. I don't know. It, that's where 
I first realized like, damn, James Bond is suave as fuck. He's just so cool. Oh my God. And also, when he's in the, to bring the outfits back into it, when he's in that like blue Havana, one piece was, romper, like, yes. dude, I, I, don't, I could never pull that off, but that is so fucking cool. I, I want a man romper so badly now. I will say there is a, there's a period every single time I watch a new Bond movie where like I find myself searching online for like some dumbass outfit that I really shouldn't buy. <laughs> and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, like, like I know, I know I want it, but it's just so sweet. It's like, it is that kind of franchise. But as far as this movie is concerned, also subtle, like just a little tip of a hat to this. One of the best golf scenes in a movie. Uh, it's yeah. so good. It's almost yeah. like a precursor to Caddyshack and like the Rodney Dangerfield villain. He looks a lot like Goldfinger. He does. <laughs> he does. Uh, and we got to talk about the villain's plot a little bit because it actually like would not be as, as impactful today as it was back in the day. You're looking to irradiate our gold supply. We, we're not on the matter. gold standard anymore. It was also just like a goofy. It, it is like a goofy plot if you think about yeah. it. Like, it, yeah. If it you was... want to update the formula, it's got to be cryptocurrency now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going. I'm going to inject all cryptocurrency with a virus the second you download it or something. I'm going to inject cryptocurrency into my body. I don't even know if that <laughs> fucking works that way. Um, but the top two, and this is probably where there may be a bit of a debate, but they're two Daniel Craig movies. It's Skyfall and Casino Royale. Um, which guy, Which one do you guys believe should be second? And then let's talk about that one. So second to me is Skyfall. Again, we are nitpicking, but it just barely. Skyfall is number two. I agree with that. I think it's close. And I think I think the tip of the cap just goes to Casino Royale, which kind of was a reboot. So I can I can live with that. I prefer Skyfall. But I also just think that Casino Royale means so much because it kicked off this new era of Bond. So I think that kind of matters um, in this conversation. And, you know, Skyfall has so many incredible elements. The Adele song, you know, we've been talking about the songs. The Adele song's incredible. Uh, Javier Bardem as Raul Silva is an all-time villain. When he walks in and when he's introduced into the movie and he's like 50 yards away and he's really small in the screen... And then they just hold it steady the whole time as he walks forward, giving this incredible speech about rats on an island. Mm-hmm. It is just an all-timer. There's so many action sequences in this movie that are incredible. They put a train, a full-on train, through a building in this movie, and it's unbelievable. And then the entire closing sequence when they're at the Skyfall mansion and it turns into Bond and M in a Home Alone movie where they're just setting booby traps for the villains that are coming to get them. That entire ending sequence may be the best action sequence in the entire Bond franchise. I love Skyfall immensely. There's there's so much I could yeah, I could dive into with that and the final 45 minutes of this movie because it it just rocks. I mean from from them setting the booby traps to actually to uh, the caretaker of Skyfall Manor being a badass. Yeah. Like, and, and a, and Albert an Finney. I love Albert Finney so much. And an interesting father figure almost to Bond yeah. in that moment, which is really cool because you don't, you definitely don't see that very often. To, to the helicopters flying in, to the classic Aston Martin being rigged with machine guns again. Everything about that rocks all the way up until the end where 
holy shit, this series, this movie has the balls to kill off M. I could not believe that. I still can't believe that they do, did it. Makes sense because Judy Dench was getting way up there. But still, to, to kill her off and have that impact Bond or Daniel Craig's Bond, the rest of this, his movies is awesome. I love, I agree with pretty much everything you guys have said. Like, I love this movie. I do think I might even like it more than Casino Royale. I think from a rewatchability standpoint, Casino Royale still is just like, because it's like a gambling movie and it's more like, it's a setup. It's like a little easier to rewatch, but like Skyfall, I, the settings in this movie, I just love. The island's amazing. It looks amazing. It's such a cool, it's based on um, that island in Japan that was abandoned. Um, and then, like, it's just an amazing visual. And, like, this, going to Scotland when we've never really, like, like yeah. historically from Scotland, we've never been to Scotland. And, like, they just take you to, like, the most amazing spot in Scotland. It's, like, such a cool spot to go to. And, like, I just love that area anyways. But I love watching this movie just because I want to go there. And just from like a fun standpoint, I think they kind of got the gist as like, oh, we probably should just get a little bit more like classic gadgets and do like a little tip of the cap. And they bring the Aston Martin DB5 back with the gadgets. And they're like, all right, it was a little fan service there, but I'm fully on board for it. Yeah. I basically had a heart attack when I thought they destroyed it, but that was actually a model that was like a one six scale <laughs> model, which was awesome. But I also think like Judy Dench in this, like they give her so much like character and and so much uh room like basically like room to act which is like really cool because it's definitely the most uh, almost more so than, than Daniel Craig in this movie to be honest with you the scene where she's testifying in front of parliament mm-hmm. and she's giving that speech where she's quoting the poem about and it's all about like british imperialism and like what we do is in the shadows and like mm-hmm. all that stuff is so incredible. And Judy Dench just nails it. The only knock against Casino Royale and why I prefer Skyfall Casino Royale ends like five times. And I'm just like, can we not? But Skyfall just goes so smoothly towards an ending. Um, and I think it's just the perfect way to kind of wrap up that movie. And yeah, an I think emotional you- hit too. So I think you can tell this movie was directed by like a very vision, like, like visionary director, like an, an Oscar winning director. Like it's, yeah. it's, you can tell this movie is in a different class of just film, not just, not just bond movie, but like it's an actual movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, it really is. Um, yeah. It's funny. We're moving our way backwards from end to finish in this movie, but some other things that are just phenomenal is like that conversation so q is introduced for the first time into the daniel craig version um and that conversation they have in the museum where it it juxtaposes young versus old traditional versus new um and how bond is a blunt instrument and the new way the wave of the future is using technology to spy is that quote awesome. where he's like someone's still got to pull the trigger Exa- um, yes it's great. exactly it's that is that's one of the best lines in all of James Bond. So this movie definitely gets credit for introducing Q again because I thought the I forget the actor's name, but he's awesome as Q. He's really damn good. Also, way older than he looks. That dude is like forty something, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Also, um, shout out, uh, voice of Paddington, uh, one of the best franchises going <laughs> in film right now. Um, all right, so you know, Skyfall is an incredible movie, and 
you know, again, we're, we're splitting hairs here because it's the top two Bond movies, like, out of 24. So, you know, if you like Skyfall better, you're probably right, too. Um, but let's talk about Casino Royale. Why should this one be top for you, Stegs? This movie was like a wow. Like like one of the most, like, I think, market times in, in my, like, like cinema viewing, like, at, at the movie theaters moment where I was like, this is awesome like this is like i i think i had come out of i think the expectations in had dropped so low with die another day and like i always like i said i still always love bond i always go with my dad like we always love these movies but it kind of dropped the expectation into like we were expecting more like gator disguises to come out in this movie like the way that it was going and then this just comes out and hits you in the mouth um like right off the bat with like first off the gritty just weird camera flashback style that they're doing initially. The but then black you get, and white. Oh my yeah. God. But then you get to the parkour scene and that is like still to this day, I think maybe one of my favorite action scenes ever in any movie. The best I, opening scene in Bond. I, I think about it all the time. Like as far as in comparison to other movies, it's so amazing. It's so good. But then, and then so you get that. Then we all of a sudden, go into this like really nuanced side character with Vesper Lind. We're starting to do some classic callbacks um, with like the actual Vesper cocktail instead of that, uh, you know, instead of like a shaken nut sturdy. In fact, he, yeah, they even say like, like you're I don't give a, different. I don't give a shit. I love that. Yeah. You get Jeffrey Wright coming in as, as um, Felix Leiter. Felix. You have literally just, I think the best, poker or gambling on screen ever in movies like at least top three um and apart from the incredibly unrealistic winning hands that both oh but god have. everyone's like oh yeah you have a yeah yeah exactly. i have, a royal, just, I have a royal flush and you have a straight flush I come know. on everybody has at least a full house or better uh yeah no i agree the the only two things that i just kind of want to like really harp on that make this movie incredible is you know Stegs, you said it, the way that it kind of market corrects what went wrong in the previous movie was such an incredible watershed moment for the franchise, like bringing it into the new century. And it's such a great movie that it completely resets what kind of went wrong before it. And then the entire relationship between him and Vesper is probably the single most emotional thing that has happened in the Bond movies those women are always treated like shit in these movies and Vesper is an actual character and brings the side out of Bond that didn't really exist in a long time before that. So there's an emotional gut punch in this movie that a lot of them just don't have. They did and they did it in Skyfall with M, but they did it here first and that matters. This movie was the first time the Bond girl was in peril. And I remember sitting in the theater thinking, damn, I really hope he saves her. Like that, that was my emotional thought. Like I, I cared. I really cared that he saved Vesper and every movie prior is like, all right, cool. He'll save her, whatever. <laughs> in this movie, it also had that. I had that seed of doubt, like shit, she might die. And I'm actually going to feel terrible if she does. That'll suck. So that emotional connection that you guys talked about is phenomenal. This was the first time, again, I remember being in the theater in the opening credits, or sorry, opening scene, thinking, holy shit, Bond just did what? And, just like cold-blooded. Yes. Just um, with the silencer. And then, and then the parkour, the juxtaposition between how 
you have this, uh, whatever the guy guy's name was, how he is actually parkouring through everything in a very cool way. And then Bond, instead of going above, just goes through the wall. Oh, I love or that. Bond, like, you know, the Bond, Bond like, is a blunt instrument once again. Exactly. <laughs> boom, comes like, through it, the wall. And Steggs, you could probably talk more intelligently about this, but like when they traverse down the abandoned shaft or whatever, how the guy who's doing parkour is very light on his feet and is just bouncing from place to place. And then Bond, you you hear him actually go thud on each one. Like it's just incredible. You have this heavy blunt object who's ready to kill this villain. And then this guy darting away. It's It's so cool the way they manage that. Going through um, that wall was so like I, I have that in green uh, sitting next to my dad and both of us were just like oh my god like it was just like <laughs> instant like I've never I mean also like if you guys remember all the lead up to this it was like Daniel Craig's five ten he's blonde this is like bullshit he's gonna be the worst Bond ever I've never seen such a quick one eighty where everyone yeah. was like all right this guy's the fucking best <laughs> this guy's amazing and I thought that too I thought I very much thought like Daniel Craig who the fuck is this guy from Layer Cake he can't be Bond. I went into the movie hearing that the reviews were really good, sat down, and it took all of three minutes for me to be like, fuck yeah, this guy's Bond. He's awesome. I'm in. I'm in instantly. The only other action sequence that I want to shout out, just because we didn't mention it, the one at the airport. Yeah. When he's driving the plane. Holy shit. Like, that thing is just breathtaking for, like, ten minutes. It is unreal. Mm-hmm. It feels like there's like three movies in this movie, and they're yeah. all awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Also, shout out. That's what I mean by it ends like four different yeah. times. But yes. Also, shout out to um, the most car flips in cinematic history. Uh, <laughs> with, you could do it. I, mean, I forget how many times they do it. It's ridiculous though. Um, but that's such a cool scene. Um, oh, well, and the torture scene. You've got to talk sequence. about. Oh. James Bond is so powerful, he can get smashed in the nuts over and over again and laugh about it. Yeah, I mean, the torture sequence is so dark and, like, nothing that we've seen in the Bond franchise before where, like, he's actually in a lot of pain, but he doesn't go the Lazenby route where he's, like, vulnerable. He's still Bond in that moment and, like, cracking jokes at the the villain who is torturing him's expense. But, but in a realistic way, not like, hey, Bond is so smarmy. It's like, holy shit, this spy is a psychopath, and I would not want to fuck with him. Yeah, he's like he's like laugh crying doing right. this. And it's like, this is some layers to this fucking acting. It's like real acting, man. Just yeah. talking about this movie just makes me realize. Like, it's like, I, I just want to go watch it again. It's so... It's so good, and everybody likes it. I, yeah. you can, if you're, it's a great like movie if you're just like chilling out with your family. It's like let's just, what do you want to watch? Let's watch something fun. Like that's, it's, you know, Casino Royale is right up there. Uh, it's not like I feel like some other Bond movies you got to be in the mood for a Bond movie. Like Casino Royale is like just phenomenal all across the board. And also, little side note, also a little just shout out, uh, Ava Green. This little spoiler alert. Obviously, if you haven't seen Casino Royale, just get off your ass and watch Casino just Casino Royale, but. <laughs> one of the most realistic dying scenes, uh, drowning scenes too. So good. Yeah, it is. It is heavy, man. Like heavy in a way that you just don't get in bond movies. Love Ava green. Great actress. Wish she got, wish she, wish she was able to do more. The, the tiniest nitpick and where, where skyfall has a massive advantage. If you're comparing the two, this song in this is very forgettable. I like, I don't, I don't mind it. It's got a good opening sequence. I like the animation. I, I would say it's like a very middling song, I agree. But 
it's not, I wouldn't say it's bottom tier. Like I, I, it, when I'm listening to it, I'm enjoying the sequence. It's not like there are certain, I remember certain seventies bonds where like when the song is on, I'm like, holy shit, this is boring. Like I, I need to get through this. sequence. <laughs> this is like still a very visually interesting and like enjoyable song in the moment. I'm just not going to put it on my phone. Yes. Yes, exactly. Audio slave. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is it audio slave? Yeah. Chris Cornell uh, audio. Chris Cornell. Oh yeah. Okay. All right, so that is our top tier. Casino Royale goes out on top, and that brings us to the end. And we're just going to do a quick recap for you all before we get out of here. In tier five, the bottom tier is a tier of one. It is Die Another Day, Pierce Brosnan's last movie. It is truly garbage. In tier four, the ones where there are moments, but they're not particularly good. We have Quantum of Solace, Diamonds Are Forever, For Your Eyes Only, and The Man with the Golden Gun. Tier 3, the solid entertainment category, we have Octopussy, Moonraker, A View to a Kill, You Only Live Twice, Spectre, and The Living Daylights. And finally, we have the top two tiers, and these are the ones that we actually ranked. In 13th, we have Live and Let Die, the 1973 film starring Roger Moore. Number 12 spot goes to License to Kill, Timothy Dalton on a Revenge Mission, dope movie if you haven't seen it. Number 11, The World Is Not Enough, 1999, Pierce Brosnan. Number 10, Dr. No, Sean Connery's first film and the first film in the entire franchise. From Russia With Love, 1963, in 9th. Tomorrow Never Dies, in 8th. The Spy Who Loved Me, in 7. Number 6, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Number 5, Thunderball. And finally, Tier 1, The Elite, The Mount Rushmore of Bond movies. We have Goldeneye, starring Pierce Brosnan from 1995, Goldfinger, starring Sean Connery from 1964, and in the top two spots, we have two Daniel Craig movies. The number two is Skyfall, the 2012 film directed by Sam Mendes, and the number one spot goes to Casino Royale, Daniel Craig's first turn as James Bond in the franchise, and truly a brilliant, brilliant movie. That is it for us. We are going to get out of here. You can follow us on Instagram at Back Porch Media, on Twitter at Porchback Media. You can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Great review. Leave nice comments. We love to see it. And that's it for us this week. See y'all.